Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning and for singing and praying with us. And if you haven't already, I want to encourage you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. So that's 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. If you're, if you're visiting with us today, let me just say this. Our, our method of preaching here at Redeemer is, is rooted in, in this confidence that, that God has spoken through His Word and that His Word is way better than anything that I have to offer you. Like, way, way better. Because it's true and it's right and it's good and it's without error. So we approach the Bible by starting a book and working our way through. So if you're visiting today, particularly if you're a wife, and the first thing you hear is be subject to your own husbands. I just want you to know, like, I didn't pick this. I'm not out to get anyone. There's no agenda behind this except the confidence that God's Word is true. And that guides us and that carries us here at Redeemer. So the second thing I want you to know by way of introduction is we think that every word in the Scripture is true. And we're not going to soft-pedal any of it. So... I'll just put all my cards on the table right here at the beginning, and then maybe you'll choose to listen, maybe you'll choose not to. But in verse 1, when it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, I think that means follow the leadership of your husband. And in verse 3, when it says, Don't let your adorning be external, but let it be internal, adorned by the power of the gospel at work in you, I think that's what it means. And when it says, Husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them. I think that's what that means. And much like the writing of Paul, the writing of Peter gives more words to the women. It's more controversial in the secular culture. But I think the men get punched in the gut every time. Just every time. Right? So Paul, in a similar passage in Ephesians 5, says, Wives, submit to your husbands as the church does to Jesus. And the, and the world argues about it, and the church argues about it. And we go on, and we go on, and we go on. But then Paul says, but husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Next. You want to help a brother out, Paul? You want to give me a little bit more, please? Love your wives as Christ loved the church? Woo. I think we got to get the punch here, too. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them. In all things. Okay. Well, let's dive in. In this passage, Paul is addressing the family. And often here at Redeemer, we use this language of the family of God, of the local church. That, that's, that's biblical, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about um, the, the, the family unit. Husband, wife, father, son, father, daughter, mother, son, mother, daughter. This is what we're talking about today. So when I say family, I mean like, like your, your blood relatives, those people that you don't get to escape from, those people that you are with forever. And so our main point this morning is the gospel of Jesus gives hope and bears fruit in the family. The gospel of Jesus gives hope to and bears fruit in the family. For whatever, well, I'm going to hold off on that. So, for my note, that, that's the main point. I want to show that to you from the scripture. 
So for my note-taking friends, and I got five points today, so I'm, I'm plus two. So we should be done by about 1.45, okay? Actually, I have a meeting at 1, so we'll be done by 12.55. Actually, I'm just kidding. We'll be done at 11.45. Um, first point, why the family? Why the family? But this kind of seems like a bit of an about face. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul, keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So in in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Peter gives this vision. He gives this vision of let your lives, your behavior, your words, your deeds be honorable, be above reproach, be free from sin, so that your life will bear fruit and glorify God. So there's this vision. Go into the world and live in such a way that you honor the gospel of Jesus and your life bears fruit. And then Paul says, therefore, Chapter 2, verse 13, excuse me, Peter, be subject to every human institution, even the emperor or the government. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters, even those who are unjust and don't know and walk with the Lord. And then Peter says, for you have returned, verse 25, to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And then chapter 3, verse 1, he says, likewise. So if we're to go into the world and live honorably and obediently to glorify God, and that's to, to, to shape how we think about our, our relation to governmental structures, even slaves and masters, how much more then should the gospel of Jesus and the Christ-like honorable living that flows out of the gospel of Jesus bear fruit in our homes. I think it's perfectly appropriate for Paul, Peter, not that he needs me to to give him that freedom, but I think it's perfectly appropriate then to move to the family, to the home. Likewise, chapter 3 verse 1 means, let the gospel make you live honorably and obediently and glorifying the Father in heaven in your home. And consequently, if the gospel can cause us to live honorably and Christ-like and Christ-honoring in our homes, then that means the gospel bears fruit in our homes. That means the gospel brings healing in our homes. That means there's hope for us for our marriages, for our broken relationships with our children, for our broken relationships with brothers and sisters. There's there's hope for all of that because when Jesus saves, He changes people and He brings repentance and He brings obedience and He brings joy and He brings reconciliation. And so our families are rooted in the gospel and where the gospel reigns, there is hope. So I would just simply say, marital strife, 
broken relationships, which goes, I think, beyond even this passage. Turmoil. Need for great intervention from the Father. The Gospel of Jesus, that is salvation by faith in Christ and the the working power of the Holy Spirit within all who believe, the Gospel of Jesus is our hope. And that includes within our homes. So I want you to hear me clearly. Like, I'm pro-counseling, alright? So if you're in counseling, good. I'm pro-women are from Mars and men are from Venus or whatever that, that book is. I think I just butchered it, right? There's some good common grace we can learn there. I'm pro-better communication. I'm pro-learning all the common grace stuff you can to, to bring healing and unity to your family. But at the core of it, the biggest problem in my family is the hardness of my heart. And not my wife's. Because the minute I start pushing it outward is the minute that I lose the power of the Spirit to change. The biggest problem in my marriage is my hard heart. And the more the gospel changes me and brings me to repentance and brings me to walk with Jesus, the more the power of the gospel will reign in our families. You might be going, dude, you're crazy. You have no idea. Keep reading. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Just set that aside. We'll come back to that in a minute. So that even... If some do not obey the word, that is, even if some of your husbands are not Christians, they're not walking with Jesus, their hearts are cold and stale to Him, and they have no room for the gospel of Jesus in their lives, even they may be won by the conduct of their wives as the gospel brings forth respectful, pure conduct. Do you see what Peter's saying? He's not saying it's all the wife's fault. Don't read that. He's not saying it's all my fault. But what he's saying is the power of the gospel comes to root in a relationship when I make obedience to Jesus my greatest priority. When I make channeling the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit as revealed in the Word my greatest end, that's when the healing, restoring, God-glorifying power of the gospel comes to root in a family. That's why Paul Excuse me, Peter. Peter wrote the book of Peter. And every time I say Paul, I mean Peter. And I'm not crazy, I don't think, okay? That's why Peter wrote this little section for us. Here's what we know to be true. Family is the revealing place in our lives. Those closest to us see the worst and the most real of who we are. We can fake it for two hours on Sunday morning. We can act happy about having to park across the street and walk across the street to get to church. At the YMCA, we could act happy about it being 61 degrees in our worship gathering. We can act happy 
and act like everything's fine. We can even go to work and fake it. I can fake it at Kroger. I can fake it at Drake's Creek Park. I can fake it when I go play sports. I can fake it so many places, but my family knows who I am. Therefore, my family needs the power of the gospel, and so does yours. That's why Peter dives into the family. If we want to live honorably and respectfully in such a way that the world will see good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, then how we live in our families matters. And the hope and the power of Christ gives hope and strength and encouragement to our families. So I'm just going to guess that we're not a bunch of bundles of roses today. And if you're here today and you're not married, man, this stuff about the family is for you too. Relationships with parents up the ladder, with children down the ladder, with siblings kind of parallel on the ladder. Man, everything that that he says here is still true for us. So I'm just going to assume in a room this size, we're not a big bundle of roses. All is well. Let's sing Kumbaya because God has changed our families. So wherever that tension point is, wherever that hurt is, wherever that frustration is, will you just resolve today, I and my spouse, but I need more of the power of the Spirit at work in me to lead me to walk in more obedience and faith and repentance. I do. I do. Don't even allow yourself to look up or out yet. Amen. I kind of just want to stop and go home, but I'm going to go further. So Peter's addressing the family because the family is a vital part of where we live out our faith and the gospel of Jesus is the hope of the family. Second point. Roles in God's kingdom. Roles in God's kingdom. If you're you're exploring Christianity, we're going to do a little inside baseball here, so just give us a moment. Christians love arguing about passages like this. We just love arguing about it. You know, and so so the Bible says that in Christ, this is Galatians chapter 3, excuse me, yeah, Galatians chapter 3. In Christ, there's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek. Paul's point is that in Christ, everyone's welcome to Jesus. The kingdom of God is the work of God in the world whereby male and female, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, everyone is welcome at the foot of the cross because we all have the same sin problem and we all need the same gospel cross saving power that comes through the blood of Jesus. But none of that obliterates roles. It is possible to say that we are all welcome at the foot of the cross, that the gospel saves equally, that the gospel heals equally, that we're all equally sinful, and still recognize that there are roles, and with roles come responsibility. So what Peter says here is this, and it's consistent with the writings of Paul, In Ephesians chapter 5, 
verses 22 through 33, and Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19, what Peter says is, there are roles in marriage. In the economy of God, God has tasked husbands with the role of leading their family to honor God and everything. And God has tasked wives to be joyful, joyful helpers, help meets, who work along with the husband to lead the family to bear fruit for the glory of God. But he has said, husbands, lead your wives and wives follow the leadership of your husbands. And all I'm trying to make the point right now is this. Roles and leadership do not undermine the work of salvation or value in the kingdom. Perhaps that's controversial for some. Perhaps some of you are like, yeah, dude, we know, turn the page. But, but it's just, it just is what it is. Inside the church, churches have leaders, elders and deacons. According to the testimony of, of 1 Timothy and Titus and, and the rest of the scripture, the, the role of, of pastoral elder leadership is something that God has appointed to men. I don't know why exactly, but that's God's pattern. Inside the home, God has established a pattern of men leading their wives, leading their families to, to glorify God and everything in a way that brings glory to Jesus and for women to follow the leadership of their husbands in a way that brings glory to Jesus. Roles in God's kingdom don't undermine the salvation of God's kingdom. And we're all Americans. And it's 2017. And we hate authority. We hate roles. We all want to be the boss because we don't like having someone that can walk in the room and ask us to do something and expect us to do it. But you know the reality of the world that we live in? Do you know the reality of the kingdom of God? We all have authority over us because God made us and the scripture says that if God made us then he gets to decide what is best and right for us and sin the problem with the world entered the world Genesis chapter 3 because the first humans decided that they didn't like God's authority they said, we'll find a better authority. And the history of the world is the brokenness and the destruction that has flown out of a rejection of God's authority. And so part of what it means to be a Christian is, yes, Jesus died for me. But the other part of what it means to be a Christian is the Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And now God owns me twice because he made me. 
I rebelled against his leadership and his authority, and he sent his son to purchase my salvation at his own expense. And so now I doubly belong to the Lord, and he doubly is my authority. And my calling in this world is to learn to joyfully follow authority, understanding that the authority of God is good. So we are all under authority. And I believe that the more the gospel of Jesus bears fruit in our hearts, the more we will joyfully follow the authorities that God has established, the authority structures that God has established in our lives. Let me say that backwards. The more your soul revolts against leadership and authority, that is a litmus test of hardness of heart that calls for repentance and seeking to yield more of who you are to the Lord. So I'm a husband and I'm a father. And yet, I live under great. Oh, and I'm a pastor, so I get to be a leader in lots of things. And I'm a baseball coach, so I get to be a leader there. But do you know what? As a baseball coach, I function under the authority of the Hendersonville Civitan Club. And as a pastor, I function under the authority of the elders of this church and under the authority of this congregation who called me to be its pastor. And as a husband and a father, I function under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no no place in this world where I am not under authority. And I'm not even going to say if you have authority issues because you have authority issues. So where you have authority issues, that is a sign of the hardness of heart that calls for repentance. For the kingdom of God, when it is fully manifest, will be filled with hearts that are yielded to the lordship of Jesus Christ and his authority for the glory of his name. And therefore we live and speak and act and think in honorable ways. Everybody convicted now? So this whole passage is just about taking that and applying it to the family. And we got to get all that straight first. And then we come to the family and we say, okay, what does that mean? Third point, a word for wives word for wives. Women, you got six verses. Men got one. That also means you got more explanation than we got. I feel slighted. I think Peter liked women better than men. It was a joke. Come on, laugh. Laugh. Yeah, laugh loud enough that the recording hears it. It was a joke. So here's what Here's what Paul says to ladies. Command, verse 1. Peter says to ladies. And by the way, he's not speaking of all relations between 
men and women. He is speaking of the marital bond of wife and husband. So if you are employed and you're a man and your supervisor is a woman, do not dare try to twist this passage into something that it is not saying. Don't do it. If you're a man, Paul, Peter, nor Paul for that matter, is saying that all women should follow you. He is speaking to the bonds of marriage. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now let's do a little word study. Chapter 18, I mean, sorry, chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Those are the exact same words, and in all three cases, they mean the exact same thing. It means follow the leadership of those who are your leaders. And he's saying, wives, see, receive, and believe, and follow the leadership of your husband right up until the point that it would ask you to disobey Jesus and then stop. So remember that respectful and pure conduct flows from gospel transformation in the heart. I think it's important that we not miss the end of verse 1. Those of us who are in marriages where one believer, one person is a believer and the other is, is not a follower of Jesus. He says the way that we carry ourselves in our marriage will give testimony to the power of the gospel of Jesus to those who don't know Christ. Let your conduct within your marriage be respectful and pure. That is, let Jesus reign in your marriage. Part of that means, ladies, seeing the leadership of your husband as a good thing and being willing, willing to yield to it and follow. There's also, ladies, verses 3, 4, 3 and 4. There's this great word about where your beauty and joy and significance comes from. He calls it your adorning. But he says, ladies, let your beauty, let your significance let that thing that you want to be known for be the beauty of a gentle spirit yielded to the Lord Jesus in everything. I don't know, ladies. I've never been a lady. 
I'll never be a lady. I hope that's encouragement to you, though. Particularly you younger ladies still kind of trying to make your way in this world. It doesn't matter what your body fat ratio is. It doesn't matter what size clothes you wear. It doesn't matter what the boys think about you. It doesn't matter what Facebook says about you. It doesn't matter what all the cool kids are doing. What matters is a heart and a demeanor and a spirit that's been captivated by Jesus because that's precious and that's beautiful and that's lovable and that's what Christ will honor. And so you don't have to perform on the outside because gospel transformation happens on the inside. I don't know. I hope that's encouraging to you, ladies. And then verses 5 and 6, Peter makes this illustration of the ladies from the Old Testament. He speaks particularly of Sarah, who was the wife of Abraham. And if you'll recall, in, in Genesis, Abraham came to Sarah and he said, God appeared to me in a vision. And we're going to leave our homeland and we're going to go to a place where we, where we know no one, we have nothing, and we might die because, you know, God told me to. Don't, man, don't. Don't try it, okay? Don't. 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 Peter says, in spite of her fear, in spite of being frightened, Sarah believed that God had spoken to Abraham and believed that God was guiding them. And she took Abraham's word and went with him and bore fruit. Fruit that has led to us being here today as the children of Jesus who was an offspring of Abraham and Sarah. So it seems like Peter's saying this. This whole wives, submit to your husbands, follow them, be adorned with inner beauty. This isn't a new thing. I'm not making it up. God's kingdom has always worked like this. See that when God speaks and gives commands, it is not intended to inhibit our libertarian freedom, but it's intended to be for our good. It's intended to be a blessing to us. And so when Peter says, wives, submit to your own husbands, he's not saying restrain yourself and don't be you. He's saying, see that this is good. Because God's ways bring glory to God and they're good for our souls. And so I'm naive enough today to say that the more we yield to the structure that the Lord has established in our lives, the more joy and blessing we will find in this world. Let's not, in the name of Jesus, kick against the authority of Jesus and try to make our own way. Don't worry, man, I'm coming to you. So then, a word for husbands. Again, not all men, but for husbands. Likewise, verse 7, 
Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, let's just deal with the thorny parts. As the weaker vessel does not mean that women are spiritually inferior to men. It does not mean, let's not read this through a Valentine's card lens, it does not mean that women are more emotive and emotional than men. I think at the time that this was written, it meant the obvious thing. Men were physically stronger than women and physically able to do things that women were not able to do. And Paul says, therefore, understand this and show honor to the woman in her weakness. Do you see that? I understand there's a difference between men and women. And rather than holding that difference against my wife, I'm going to recognize it and I'm going to honor it and I'm going to compassionately love her through her weakness and care for her because she is my bride and I'm called to die to myself and love her as Christ loved the church. I told you this was a lot harder for us men. But do you hear that? If your wife, if your spouse is more emotional than you, then yield to her emotionalism and listen to her and be compassionate to her emotional needs. Do not look at her and be like, be like me. She's not like you. And that's a good thing. And that's what we do, men. We take the authority, we take the position of being the leader of our home and we are prone in our sin to say, I'm going to use my leadership in my home to serve me and get what I need however I need to get it. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Jesus calls you to use your authority and your leadership the way he did. How did he do that? Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. He gave up all of his authority. He gave up all of his privilege. He gave up all of his right to play the trump card and said, I will serve the church by dying for her. So husbands, yield to the needs of your wife and do not shame your wife for not being a man. I hope that resonates because you're all just looking at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. To me, as a husband, this is the most convicting verse in the Bible. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor. What does honor mean? First of all, it was in your vows. I will honor and cherish you from this day forward in sickness and in health till death do us part. So you you said you would do it. But what does it mean to honor? It means to cherish. It means to lift up. It means to want her best. It means to yield yourself for her Joy and her blessing and her sanctification so that she may flourish, not so that she may exist under the strong weight of your arrogant thumb. 
I remember when this came home to roost for me, our, our first son was five days old. And um, my wife was breastfeeding and she got an infection that made breastfeeding very, very painful. And so I went to get the medicine for the infection and found out that my new job didn't have prescription drug coverage. So that was a blow. So I bought the $170 medicine, and I brought it home, and my wife couldn't get off the bed, so I went and got her some water, and I, I took her the pills, and I gave her some water, and she's laying on the bed, drinking the pills, trying to breastfeed her son, and the pain is so hard that she's like, hurry, 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 get a trash can, get a trash can, get a trash can. And so here I am, three, four, five-day-old baby, standing on the side of a bed in an apartment in Bellevue, holding a trash can so my wife can puke in it while she's breastfeeding our son. Then I take it to the bathroom, and I rinse it out and come back for time two, and then time three. And in that moment, I thank, praise the Lord, I didn't say it out loud, but under my breath, I said, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. You see, at that moment, cherishing and honoring my wife meant entering into her suffering and serving our good as a family and glorifying God by yielding for her. Take that mint and you extrapolate that anywhere you need to. That's how you lead a home. That's how you glorify Jesus. That's how you love your wife as Christ loved the church. And I'm not trying to say I'm awesome because I fail at that so much. Look, I've been married for 16 years and I just gave you one, one good, there's one, there's one good story. There's one. But I think it'll preach. I think that dog will hunt, as we like to say here in the South. And so let it hunt. Final point, because I'm way out of time. Oh, oh, I almost forgot that your prayers may not be hindered. That's a fun one. I almost left that out. I thought our prayers were always acceptable through Jesus. They are. I thought Jesus perfected our sin and made us acceptable to God. He does. But it seems like Peter is saying you can't in your soul be sinning against your wife and expect at that moment to be walking with the Lord in the same way. And he would say, start your prayers by repenting of your sin. Start your prayers by cleansing your heart. Start your prayers by letting the gospel of Jesus, which makes your prayers acceptable, be acceptable. And so that leads us to the last point. The gospel is our only hope. Who feels like a failure right now? Me! Yeah, all y'all? Yeah, we do. You can't bootstrap this. You can't do it by yourself. You can't make three resolutions and get up at 5.30 in the morning to fix this. The power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus is our only hope. And so in just a minute, I'm going to invite any of you who have professed your faith in Christ for salvation and who are committed to following him in this world, I'm going to invite you to take the Lord's Supper because Jesus gave us a piece of bread and a cup of wine in this case, the Redeemer, it's juice. But he gave it to us for the purpose of reminding us every time we gather that we're sinners who have a great Savior. But if we have Jesus, we have everything, and the power of the Spirit is with us. So I want you to respond to this sermon. I want this, service, this sermon to live on in your hearts and your minds and your souls. If I have caused havoc in your home, you email me this afternoon, and I will meet with you tonight. But listen. The gospel is our hope. Team, come on. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. So Father in heaven, 
I pray that you would work all of this into our hearts and our minds for the glory of your name. Amen.